Well, today we are um, continuing our series on the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, open up to the first chapter. We're still in the first chapter, and we're going to be in there for a couple more weeks at least. Uh, we've been doing this study through the book of Ephesians, and you know, today we're going to talk about something that's sort of mysterious. I've always been bothered and confused by invisible things. When I was in grade school, I learned about this thing called cooties. <laughs> right. I didn't know they existed until I went to school. My friends told me, cooties, they're invisible, and girls have them. And if you touch a girl, you'll get cooties. And I didn't want to get cooties from a girl. I find out later, it's just germs. Get germs from other people. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't know much about that, but it was something invisible and scary. You've heard me talk before about electricity. I'm a little paranoid about electricity. I've seen people get hurt by electricity. When I was in, in junior high, a couple of high school kids urged me to put my finger in a cigarette lighter, and I wouldn't do it because I didn't trust those guys, and I didn't trust electricity. It's a scary thing. And, and then I go to church when I'm a kid, and I hear about this invisible thing called the Holy Ghost. I mean, he's not just holy. He's a ghost. And if you're a kid, ghosts are spooky. They're scary. You don't know what they're up to. And so I grew up with this kid in this, with this mindset of, you know, I know God the Father. I get that. And I, I can visualize Jesus the Son. I, I understand that he died on a cross. I get that. But who in the world is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Ghost. And, and actually it helped when he got called the Holy Spirit. That, that helped me a little bit to understand. But I found out in all those things, girls' germs aren't actually that bad. I'm married to a beautiful wife. I like sharing girls' germs. Pretty cool. And I'm not afraid of electricity. I'm respectful of it. But even though it's invisible, it's a blessing to be connected to electricity. Not me personally be connected, but to, to have my house connected to electricity. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I have found he is such a vital part of my spiritual walk. In fact, I cannot be who God wants me to be. I cannot discover God's purpose in my life without understanding what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life and without walking with this influence called the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you maybe were like me, that the Holy Spirit is just this kind of invisible thing, and, and I get Jesus, and I love Jesus, but maybe, I, maybe it's okay I don't understand the Spirit. But I'm telling you, it's not okay. And that's why Paul, in the first chapter of Ephesians, takes time in this long doxology, this long statement of praise that goes 12 verses long. It's one sentence in the Greek from verses 3 uh, excuse me, four, all the way through verse tw- 14. It's all a, a litany of praise, a doxology from Paul. And he starts off saying, praise be to God the Father. And he tells all the things that the Father has done for us. And last week we looked at what he does to us through Jesus Christ. We give all praise to Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. And if you missed any of those messages, you can go online, go to our, our webpage, go to our church app, and you can listen to any of those prior messages. But then he comes to this place in verses 13 and 14 and talks about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so we're going to look at that today. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to do what I always do, to ask for God to speak to you through his word today, that our hearts will be open to receive what he has to say. So would you agree with me in prayer today with that? Father, through your Holy Spirit, speak through your word, uh, a fresh word today, that we would understand you and understand your spirit in a greater way so that our lives would align with your will for us, Father, and we would walk in obedience to all the things you are calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise 
of his glory. It's all about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. And I believe he's laying out for us kind of a panoramic view of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives from beginning to end, starting with our pre-conversion time period. And so I want to talk about that first. Before conversion, what is the Holy Spirit trying to do? He's trying to bring us to faith. He's trying to bring us to faith. He, He says to the Ephesians here that you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. Long before you ever began to even think about Jesus, the Holy Spirit was working on you. The Bible is very clear that that we don't pursue God first. God pursues us. In fact, we're out wandering, doing our own thing, and, and the hound of heaven begins to search for us and seek us and try to find us. And that's what, what God does. He initiates this, this contact because he's trying to bring us to a place of faith. Our, our eyes are blind, our hearts are hard, and we don't even realize oftentimes that we are lost. Do you ever notice that sometimes you can be driving around in a car and you have no clue that you are lost, but you're really lost? But then there comes that awakening moment of, oh my goodness, I have no clue where I am. I, I, I got to get a map out. I need some help because I don't, I don't know how I got here, and I never really thought I was lost. And I grew up in a church that didn't even talk about lost people. So I had no clue that I was lost. If someone would have come up to me as a teenager and said, Darren, you're lost, I would say, what do you mean I'm lost? I'm right here. Right here. What do you mean I'm lost? Well, you're lost in relation to God. What do you mean? I talk about God on Sunday. I go to church. What do you mean I'm lost? And it wasn't until I started in youth group and began to go to events like crusades and evangelistic events, concerts, where people began to to speak of God's truth, speak of the truth about Jesus, and then something began to stir within me. Things that I heard up here before began to penetrate down here. And I began to think about God in a very different way. It's this wooing work, drawing work of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Jesus talked about this drawing nature of God in John chapter 6, verse 44. Here's what Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up at the last day. God draws us. He doesn't force us. He draws us. It's like a magnetic pull. He he uses his word to begin to move us to a place where we would trust him. The very next verse is Jesus is talking to the, the mass of people that have gathered on that day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught of God, and everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. So so when you hear God speak and you learn from him, what does that mean? It means you're applying it. You're you're responding to it. Hearing in the Bible is more than just audibly recognizing that something was said. Hearing is combined with obedience. So it it really means I'm really listening. I'm really listening and I'm responding. So when you respond to faith, to this this, what God is speaking to us through his word, we we get drawn closer and closer to Christ. And, And... Know this, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian yet, the Holy Spirit is working on you for the very same purpose, to draw you closer and closer to Jesus Christ. You may not be aware of it, but that's what he's trying to do. And he uses his word to do that. I remember back when I was in high school and began to hear those messages, and my heart began to soften. It was as if something was cutting deep inside my spirit and prying open a place that had been kept shut for so many years. I was experiencing what Paul writes to the Thessalonian church about. He says in the very first chapter of that letter that our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. 
And maybe you've experienced that here in this place, that you're in the presence of God, you're devoting time to him, God's word is being kind of cast out there, and, and many times you walk away saying, God's speaking to me. There's something happening within me. There's this deep conviction. And I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit penetrating your heart. And what's he trying to do? Draw you closer to Christ. Draw you to a place of surrender to him. Because you have a choice. When you hear that voice, when you feel that conviction, you can continue on the path you've been on or you can turn in faith to the Lord. And the Bible calls that repentance, really. It's a change of direction. Instead of going the way you've been going, he says, you know, God's kind of waved the warning flag or he's called me to take a turn. I'm going to go that way now. And here's what happens when you turn to the Lord. Paul writes about it to another church, the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. He says, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What is the veil? It's, it's like these blinders. I don't really understand God and the things about God. But, but when I turn to him, it's like, woof. Oh my goodness, I start to see things in a whole different light. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, apart from the Lord, when we're going down our old path, we're in bondage. We're blind, we're, we're, we're numb, we're insensitive to God's Word. When we turn to the Lord, it says the veil is taken away, and now there's freedom. Freedom to follow God, freedom to pursue God, because we're trusting in Him. God uses this book as a tool and an instrument of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is called the sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. They work in conjunction with each other. With each other. The Holy Spirit uses God's Word powerfully in our lives. But, it, but it's not like just a mechanical thing. Because I grew up learning Bible stories. I grew up learning verses from the Bible. And I would just tell you, it didn't penetrate my heart. What penetrated my heart was the message about Christ the gospel, that exposed my heart, exposed the sin in my life. And that's what really began to work on me, was this, was this word of Christ, the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, Paul tells us that, that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that he is Lord, um, we'll be saved. But he goes on in that chapter and says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then... Can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How are they going to do that? Nobody's told them what to believe. But he says down in verse 17 this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes by how? Hearing. You want to grow in faith? Get in the word. You, you want to grow close to the Lord? Listen to what he's saying. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Christ. That's why before you really came to church, you hardly ever heard the Lord. I can tell you for 15 years of my life, I, I can't remember a time when I heard God's voice. I really can't. But I'll tell you, when I started going to a youth group and, and got exposed to the Bible and the message about Christ, all of a sudden I started having this conviction, this stirring within me, and God speaking to me and calling me to trust him and, to, and to, to give my life to him. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing me to a deeper place of, of influence. Now in Hebrews chapter 13, there is a warning. A warning to those who would ignore what God is saying to them. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is a danger when you come to church and since God is saying something to me and deciding, eh, I'm not going to do anything about it. Because what happens is your heart starts to get hard. 
You know what happens when heart gets hard? It becomes insensitive. It becomes harder to hear the next time. And you can get yourself in a place to where you don't hear God's voice anymore because you're not listening. You're not listening with the intent to obey. And so we have a choice. The Holy Spirit is working around us to, to woo us, to draw us to the power of the word so that we would believe and surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, once that happens, it moves kind of to the next phase of the Holy Spirit's work. In conversion, the Holy Spirit makes you God's possession. It says, you were included in Jesus Christ when you heard the message of truth. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Something dramatic takes place in our lives when we give our lives to Jesus. Something that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the very beginning of time, it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters when God was creating the world. And in a sense, he's hovering over you, wanting to create life in you, this life that comes from God. I I saw a picture this week of a a young mom. She showed me several pictures of of sonogram, pictures of of, of a baby. Now, I I have to confess, maybe it's because I'm a guy, they look like weather storm pictures to me. I mean, I just, just, and they'll say, oh, look at that, there's the nose, and there's, there's, there's the arm, and I go, I guess it's there somewhere. But, but now they have these 3D images. Man, that baby like pops out at you. I mean, all of a sudden you see like, wow, there's the head and there's the arms, there's, a, there's a, the, the, the little legs. And this, this child that I saw was just weeks old. And it, it just amazes me. Whether, whether we call it a miracle or not, it is, you have to agree, it's amazing that, that a little cell from a man can unite with an egg of a woman. And once they unite and merge, that within that union becomes a new, a new life that, that has all the blueprints of every physical feature of their body already designed within it. Isn't that amazing to you? That is amazing to me to think God, God would do that. It, it is phenomenal how life is created. Well, this whole process of life being created is a picture of what happens spiritually when, when a person's heart is united with Christ, a new life emerges. It, it's not like I just became a Christian. I, I signed up to be one of the tribe. It is something dramatic happened in, in my heart. Inside of me, so dramatic that the Bible calls it a rebirth. Listen to how Paul says it to to a young pastor named Titus. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It is nothing less than a rebirth. That's pretty dramatic. You get a whole clean slate, a a whole new life ahead of you, a life that you can live in a different way. Uh, sometimes it's called spiritual resurrection. We're brought from the dead to live a new way of life. One time a religious man came to Jesus in the middle of the night and he began to question Jesus about what kind of teacher he was. And this man's name was Nicodemus. Now he knew the Bible. He was a Pharisee. He knew the stories of the Bible. He knew the verses of the Bible. But he didn't really hear God speaking to him through the Bible. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, and you can read about this in John chapter 3, but, but here's a couple of verses of what Jesus said to him. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I remember when someone told me that in high school, that that you must be born again. I said, what do you mean born again? That doesn't make sense. That's another one of those confusing things. Just didn't make any sense. I get it now. I, I fully get it now. Unless you experience a rebirth, a spiritual resurrection, you won't have life. You'll never go to heaven. You've got to experience this thing called the rebirth, and it's accomplished through God's gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he says here in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, we are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What is a seal? A seal is a stamp of ownership. 
In biblical times, oftentimes a document would be sealed. They'd put a piece of soft wax to close the document, and the king or the official would press his ring to give a unique symbol on the wax to show that that transaction is complete. It now bears his seal of ownership. In, um, in history, say in, in livestock, ranchers would cut notches in the ears of their livestock to show their camels or their, or their cows or their sheep belonged to them. And, and then it led to branding to where we brand animals and say, that's, that's my seal of ownership. That animal belongs to me. And today we, we're, we're a little kinder to the animals. We just tag their ear. Okay? That belongs to me. We have their, our ways of, of marking things to say that's mine. Dogs have their way of marking things and saying they're mine. <laughs> my dad, when he was in the army, he fought in World War II in the Philippines. He said guys would often steal his dessert. I mean, they're just really rude. They're hungry. They'd steal the dessert. So he decided when, when he got his tray, he would spit on his dessert. And he would let the guy see him spit on his dessert. Why? Because that's mine. That belongs to me. That's the holy spit right there. Right there. That's mine. And God says, okay, I'm going to mark my property. I'm going to put my spirit in them, my holy spirit as a seal. Seal also have this, has this imagery of, of containment or security. When... When documents were sealed, they were closed. When, when Daniel was put in the lion's den, it says they rolled a stone over the mouth of the den and it was sealed by the king and the nobles. It says when Jesus was put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a stone was rolled in front of the tomb and it was sealed. Meaning that if anyone were to break the seal, they were violating an order of the highest officials. You know, when God puts a seal on you, it says, I, I have taken you as mine and you are mine. He tells us in John 10, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, it says that, that, that whoever is in God's hand can never be plucked out of God's hand. And some people say, well, that means a believer can never walk away from Christ. I said, that's not what it says. It says, here's what God promises to do. He's never going to let anybody come out from the outside to take you away from him. But Jesus also says this in John chapter 10. I know who my sheep are. They hear my voice and they follow me. And I can tell you this. If you are hearing God's voice and following him, nothing will ever pluck you out of the Father's hand. You are secure. Why? Because God has placed his spirit in you to seal you. It, it says he's the, the earnest or the deposit. In 2 Corinthians, he says this to another church. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. God set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. A deposit, some of your Bibles say earnest. An earnest deposit, and if you've ever bought a house, you know what that is. That's, that's a promise that I'm going to buy the house. It's like a first installment, and I'm going to make other payments to fulfill what I'm beginning to do right here. Here's what God's saying. The Holy Spirit is my earnest deposit in you. I'm going to give you a foretaste of what it's like to be in God's presence. Holy Spirit's going to come and live in you. You're going to have a foretaste of what it means to be in God's presence every single day, but it's only a foretaste because there's coming a time where you're going to be encircled by the presence of God. And that's going to be a glorious day in heaven. He has sealed us and promised us that is where he is taking us in our future. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit used to dwell in God's presence through smoke or fire in the temple. So when people saw smoke in the temple, they knew God was there, God was present. But that was only a picture of what God wanted to do. God doesn't dwell in buildings. God doesn't live in church buildings. God doesn't live in cathedrals. 
God says, I will not live in houses built by human hands. Do you know where God lives? In a house built by his hands. Do you know what that house is? The human body. Your body and my body. That's why when Paul writes again to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You're his. You're his possession. He sealed you as his. How do we know that? Because his spirit comes to live inside of us in this precious body that he designed. And some of you may wonder, well, pastor, who gets sealed? Well, Paul's saying everybody. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit as his mark of ownership upon you. But, but pastor, I, I don't know. I thought I accepted Christ, but I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't know the Holy Spirit's in my life. Well, that could be a problem. That could be an issue. You know, when I accepted Christ, and some people have this real emotional experience when they give their life to Christ or when they're baptized, very emotional. Some people, like myself, discover that it's not as highly emotional as maybe we thought it would be. But I'll tell you this. This is how I knew the Holy Spirit was living in my life. I'll, give you, I'll just get, tell you my personal experience of four or five things. Number one is all of a sudden I, I had this spiritual hunger. I wanted to know God's word. I wanted to worship. I wanted to pray. I wanted to serve. I wanted to tell other people about Jesus. I didn't have those desires before. Something changed in me to where I actually hungered for spiritual things. Here's another thing I noticed. I wanted to win the war over sin. The, the issues in my life that I knew were displeasing to God, I had a desire now. Like, I, want to, I want to defeat that. I want to overcome that sin in my life. Didn't have that before. You know what else I discovered? That I did, over the course of time, experience overwhelming emotions, joy, hope, love, compassion, courage. Where did they come from? Holy Spirit living in me. In fact, the Bible says those are the fruit of the Spirit. Here's something else that I experienced, a greater sensitivity to the voice of God. I began to hear God speak through my own Bible reading. I began to hear God speak through other voices in my life because here's, here's God's two primary ways of speaking, directly through his word or indirectly through people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And so God's using other people to speak into my life, and I'm listening. And then here's another a fifth way that I, I knew that the Holy Spirit was in me. I had this sense of assurance that I belonged to him. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God. And there's this assurance that I belong to him now. So those are all reasons. And I believe that if, if you are a true Christian, if you've really surrendered your life to Christ, you will see evidence in your life. You will see things changing your life to validate you really have received God's spirit within you. So he works within us in conversion to make us his possession. And then there's a third phase, which is a phase from, from conversion till the end, till we go to heaven. And it is this. He is preparing us for heaven. Here's how Paul says it. This Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until our redemption. Now, last week, we talked about redemption, what it means. It means to buy back through the payment of a ransom. And it was used primarily in the slave industry, where slaves were bought and sold. And you could actually free a slave by paying a price. Well, we are in bondage, not to Satan, but to the law and to the debt we owe the law because of our sin. The wage of the sin is death. Jesus paid the price to redeem us from that. Remember what it is? That ransom was his own blood, the precious blood of Christ. So we've been redeemed. Remember that? We've been bought back by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that raises the question, if I've already been redeemed, why does Paul say that the redemption is future? Aren't I, aren't I redeemed already? And the answer is yes to both. 
Redemption is past, present, and future. We were, we were redeemed in the past, meaning in regards to the law and our sin, we've been set free from that. That's a beautiful thing. That's called justification. That's already happened. It's a done deal. But also we're going through this present day redemption, which means God is, God is redeeming the parts of our life in the present. He's redeeming my marriage. He's redeeming uh, my mind. He's redeeming my attitudes. He's redeeming all the things that have been lost through sin over the years. He's turning back around. In fact, the Bible says redeeming the time. The time that I have, God is making count for him now. So there, in a sense, there's this redemption taking place, even currently, and that's called sanctification. God is helping me to be more and more like Jesus. But there's coming a time when I will be redeemed. And he's speaking of the redemption of the body. This body is getting old. I know it because some days I feel it a whole lot. It's getting old and it's going to get creaky and things are going to go out and I will die. But here's the promise for believers. One day this body will be raised from the grave in a new form, never ever to die again. It'll be glorified like Jesus' body. It will never face sin again or sickness or death. And that is glorification of our bodies. And so in a sense, yes, it's true. We've been redeemed, we are being redeemed, and we will be redeemed. And that is the promise God has made. He began a work in us and he's working to complete it. Philippians chapter one, verse six. Paul says, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is God's intent, to complete the work he began in you. Now the reason I spent so much time at the beginning talking about hearing the voice of God is because the Holy Spirit never stops speaking to us. He never does. And the same way he draws us to faith in the beginning, I believe is the very same way he's building faith in the present. If you want to grow in your faith, listen to the word of God. Hear what God is saying to you and respond. I really believe the Christian life can be boiled down to a simple statement like this. Say no to sin, say yes to God. You make your life about that, you've got it covered. Hear God's voice, let, let him show you where you're going wrong, say no to sin, and over here say yes, I'm going to start doing these things for God, I'm going to start living for God. You, you master those two things, you will succeed phenomenally in your spiritual growth. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that we have an obligation. See, here's the flaw I think many people have about being a Christian. If I just make a decision for Christ... I've got my ticket punched. I'm good. It doesn't really matter how I live. I've got my ticket. And you know, we don't look at marriage that way. I've never met a couple that say, hey, remember we said our vows on that one day that got us married? Woo, glad that's over. <laughs> no, the wedding was the, was the beginning of the relationship. And I'll tell you, marriage requires commitment, requires sacrifice, requires investment, requires you to say no to some things and yes to other things. There are obligations that come with the relationship. And the same thing with your relationship with Jesus. There are obligations. So here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 about our obligation. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Holy Spirit's trying to show us where sin is killing us and telling us, put that to death. Turn that off. Get away from that. That's killing you. Stop it. Stop it. And if you listen to the Spirit, he says, here's what will happen. You will live. You will live. So do you understand why it's so critical we, we listen to the Holy Spirit? 
Because if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, you don't know what God's trying to do to turn your life around on a day-by-day basis. He, he explains it in another way in, in Galatians. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Catch that last phrase. You are not to do whatever you want. You know why? Because your will conflicts with God's will. Your desires are fleshly. God's desires are are good and honorable, and they are at war with each other. So you don't say, this is what I want to do. You say, I want to do what the Spirit wants me to do. So he says, walk in the Spirit. The Christian life is, is lived like in this friendship of walking with this companion who Jesus said will go with you through your life, the Holy Spirit. He will go beside you. He will walk with you. He's, he's, he's taking us on this journey. So the Bible is used by God to guide us in that journey, but never lose fact that it's, we're not just reading the Bible to find our next set of instructions. We're reading the Bible to hear the voice of the Spirit more clearly because sometimes the Spirit will speak when you're not even reading your Bible. He's talking to you. This week I was praying, God, help me to hear your spirit more. Help me to understand in a greater way what you're trying to do in my life through the Holy Spirit. And then God gave me just, it was a a very powerful picture in a moment this week. I was in a worship service on Wednesday morning. And and during the service, I, I I got this picture of a tuning fork. If you know what a tuning fork is, you can strike a tuning fork on a solid object and it vibrates at a certain note. It's pure. It just goes, and every time you hit any object, that's the only note it gives. And what you do if you have an instrument is you're tuning it to the tuning fork. And I recognize the fact that the Holy Spirit is my tuning fork. My job is to align my life with the resonance of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when you, when you hit the same note? If you've ever hit the same note as, a, as a, like a tuning fork, there's this vibration, this resonance that sounds, oh, so powerful, so beautiful, it just echoes. And as I was worshiping the Lord, I got this picture in my head of the Holy Spirit, who is a person. He's not just a thing. He's a person. He's living inside of me. And I got this, this message from the Lord saying, my spirit wants to worship the, my son. My spirit wants to glorify my son. Jesus said the spirit will come and he will glorify me. He will testify above me. How will he do that? How does the spirit do it? Well, I know one of the ways the Holy Spirit does it. And maybe the primary way the Holy Spirit does it is through my voice, through your voice. And if I remain shut, the Holy Spirit cannot praise within me. But as I lifted my voice in praise, I, I got this strong message. The Holy Spirit was, was singing with joy with me that together our voices were resonating in praise to the one who gave his life for us. And God wants us to lift our lives up to where the Holy Spirit is. Keep in step with the Spirit. Go to where the Spirit is leading. Follow him because when you do that, your life will glorify the Son. And there'll be this resonance, this glorious, magnificent echo throughout eternity. See, the Holy Spirit is speaking today. And we talk to you every single Sunday. God wants to hear from you today. And he wants to speak to you today. And what what he's saying to you may be different from the person next to you. That's okay. God knows what your needs are. He knows what he's drawing you to. But I can tell you this. He's drawing you to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. He's drawing you to a place of faith. And so we're going to enter into the next several minutes. Please don't leave. Holy Spirit is here. 
And we want to invite him to do his work within us. Maybe for some of you, he's coming from the outside because you've never really opened up. He's tapping on the door of your heart. Just like Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What are you going to do? Open the door. Let him in. Receive what he's trying to say to you. Receive the gift, the gift he's wanting to give you through the revelation of his truth.